Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Well, this morning we're looking at a passage that talks about submission. So let me start by asking, what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you hear the word submission? What kind of idea does it conjure for you? I looked up the word submission in the dictionary during the week and it has these sorts of definitions. Confession of inferiority or error. Surrender. Humility. Meekness. They're the kind of ideas that we have when we think about the word submission, don't we? I can remember the very first time that I ever heard the word submission. It was when I was younger watching these guys on the television. Uh, you might even recognise a couple of those faces up there, Tiger Singh, Mario Milano, the killer Carl Cox, it's, it's a cavalcade of wrestling stars from my childhood. But you know where the word submission is used there, don't you? It's when a wrestler knows that he is completely defeated. He, he submits, he says that he can't go on, he can't keep on fighting. That's the way the, the word gets used in our world today, isn't it? Submission means that you're beaten. Submission means that someone else has won. Submission means that you've given up. Submission means that you're weak. Well, submission is what Peter tells us that we're called to in this passage that we're looking at today. 
This is a section on how it is that Christians ought to submit to those around them. One of the big themes that we've seen as we've been looking through 1 Peter is this idea of being aliens and strangers in the world. And that's how Peter starts this passage that we're looking at. Chapter 2, verse 11, you've got it there in front of you, I hope. Uh, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, Don't be thrown off by that word pagans there. I think it's a bad translation. What it really means is Gentiles, uh, those around you who don't share your faith. Live such good lives among those people. So what Peter says, in verse 11 he gives us the don't, And then in verse 12, he gives us the do. Uh, The don't is this. Don't adopt the attitudes and the values and the priorities of the world around you. You're aliens and strangers here. Your citizenship is actually elsewhere. Your citizenship is with God in heaven. So don't adopt the attitudes and the values that you see around you here. See, we're going to be encouraged, even tempted every day, to adopt the attitudes and the values that we see around us in our world. The influences will come from a variety of different places. They may come from your workmates. They may come from close family and friends who have very different priorities to the ones that you have as a Christian. It'll come when it's with, it's with attitudes about money. It'll come with attitudes about forgiveness or how it is that we should deal with other people. And Peter doesn't want to suggest for a minute that we have to completely withdraw ourselves from the world. That's not what he's saying in this passage. I mean, that would be stupid and, and impossible. He's saying that we need to take care that we don't just blend into our surroundings that we don't just end up with the same values and attitudes of everybody else around us. I would say that every day, you and I are going to have to grapple with some of those attitudes. If you encounter other people, if you turn your television on, if you listen to the radio, if you read a magazine, you'll encounter those values and those attitudes. Sometimes it will be very, very small things. Sometimes it will be be bigger and more serious things. And what often makes it hard is that if you don't adopt those attitudes and values, then you're going to stand out. You're going to look different to the rest of the people around you. I know of a Christian guy who works in a, in a, a work environment where they're very hard drinking and hard womanising. There's about 13 guys who work in his office And he stands out because he's none of those things. He doesn't share those attitudes or those values. They come home, uh, they come back to work on Monday morning and talk about what it was that they got up to on Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights. I dare say that he's thought of as being a little strange in that workplace because he doesn't share their values. He doesn't share their priorities, their attitudes. And there's an ever-present danger for him to just want to fit in, uh, to be like everybody else where he works. 
I mean, it would certainly make working a whole lot easier. It would make relationships with those guys a whole lot easier if you just became more like them. Well, that's what Peter's saying we have to grapple with. Again, sometimes it will be very small things, sometimes it will be very insignificant things. But Peter says we need to make sure that we have the attitudes and values of someone who follows Jesus. And again, the tough thing is that nine times out of ten, it'd just be easier to act like everybody else. It'd just be easier to fit in. There'd be less questions. You wouldn't stand out. But Peter says we need to remember that we're we're aliens here. If you sometimes feel like you don't fit in, Peter says, don't be surprised. You don't. You're an alien. You're a stranger here. Well, that's the don't, but then he gives us the do. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's the do. That's the positive thing. It's much the same as Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and and praise your father in heaven. We're to be careful and thoughtful about the lives that we live, conscious of how it is that other people see us. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus or Peter are saying. They're not saying live to impress the people around you. That's not the point at all. You live a life to please God. But we do need to be conscious of how it is that other people see us. We do need to be conscious of the lives that we live before others. Nothing more depressing than seeing those stories in the newspaper about the church youth worker or the minister who's been charged with sexual assault or the church that's been fraudulently dealing with the money of others. We've seen some horror stories in the news just in these last few weeks. Scandals in the church, covering up sexual abuse, hiding money, siphoning off millions of dollars apparently from this church to support his rock star wife in her music career. 20 odd million dollars has been taken from that church. See, people are going to assess the church, Christianity, Jesus, based on the actions of these people. So you can see why Peter says what he says, can't you? People are going to make their assessment of Christianity or the church or Jesus based on your behaviour and mine. Well, Peter says that one area where we're going to have a very alien value is that we're going to be willing to submit, submit to the authorities that are around us. One of the things that seems to be etched fairly deeply into the Australian psyche is that we're supposed to despise authority. We're supposed to be really good at rejecting authority, whether it's the authority of governments or the authority of our boss. I mean, our folk heroes are people like Ned Kelly. You know, we we think that's the way that we should go, that complete rejection of authority. We're encouraged to distrust government and authorities. We're encouraged to dislike your boss. 
It's very uncool to say that you like your boss or, or, or you appreciate the way that he operates. Well, Peter says that those two groups, governing authorities and bosses, they're two people that we need to make sure that we're submitting to as Christians. We're to live that model life in both of those areas. And that's what he talks about in the remainder of this passage. Now, I think it's really important to remember when you look at this passage, he's actually talking to a group of people who are beginning to be persecuted by the very governing authorities that Peter says they're now to submit to. It's not just any old governing authority that we're talking about. At the time that Peter is writing this letter, the the persecution of Christians is becoming institutionalised. It's actually the Roman government that are now beginning to give Christians a hard time. So with that in mind, look at what he says in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. See, ultimately, he's talking about living that exemplary life again, isn't he? That life that is an example to those around them. Christians aren't to be subversive. They're not to be a law unto themselves. They're not to work against society. Peter says that Christians should be supportive of authority, show a willingness to submit to that authority. And not just for our own sake, but for Jesus' sake, is what he's saying. Even though we're citizens of heaven, we need to be model citizens while we're down here on earth. And why? Verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. We give them a lot to talk about, though, don't we? We give them a lot to criticise the church about, don't we, in the attitudes that we often display. But it's God's will that by doing good, we should silence their talk. I've no doubt that the situation for us in Australia here today is far easier than it was for Peter's readers. We don't get organised or institutionalised persecution of Christians. I mean, it must be really hard to submit to a governing authority when you know that that governing authority is the one who is inflicting your hardships on you. It must be hard to try to be a model citizen when the leaders of that society are the very ones who are oppressing you. But what Peter says applies as much today as it did to his original readers. And we're to do it for the same reasons as his original readers. We're to do it so that our lives will be exemplary as Christians. We're to do it so that we'll be seen as honest, reliable citizens in the communities that we live in. But above all, we do it for God's sake. And we do it for the sake of the name of Jesus. What Peter says about governing authorities probably isn't too hard for us today. 
But what he says about slaves and masters gets a little bit tougher. Now again, when he says slaves here, we have to realise that it's not forced slavery where, where they're being whipped and beaten and held in dungeons. The bonded employees would have been what Peter was talking about. People who were bound to someone, they'd been bought by someone, they would work for that person, they would be paid, and they could even have the potential of buying themselves out of their slavery. It was a tough gig, but it was really employment that Peter was talking about. might seem very remote to us when we hear slavery because we really don't have anything like slavery in Australia today, except possibly working at McDonald's. I think that could be a form of slavery. We might need to investigate that one. But the principle here is actually still very appropriate and and it applies to the boss-employee relationships. I heard an amazing story a few years ago from a missionary who was working in Pakistan. He had a very unusual ministry. Uh, Pakistan, as you probably know, is is a very strongly Muslim country and being a Christian there is not easy. And if you convert to Christianity... It's going to make your life very difficult. In all likelihood, you will lose your job. You may even be completely disowned by your family. Well, his his mission, his work over there as a missionary was to try and give work skills to young Pakistani men who'd become Christians, who'd lost their jobs because of their faith. And he started to notice a very interesting trend. Some of the Muslim employers were now beginning to employ these young Christian men to work in their businesses. They resented the fact that they were Christians. Uh, They were given a hard time by other employers for employing them. So why did they do it? Well, they wanted to employ young Christian men because they knew that they would be honest. They knew that they would be dependable. They knew that they would work hard. They were copying flack from the other employers, but they knew that these young Christian men would be the kind of workers that they wanted to employ. See, that's the witness that Peter's talking about, isn't it? Right there. Young men silencing the foolish talk of ignorant men. Young men doing good deeds that will ultimately bring glory to God. Young men who are willing to endure harsh treatment from their boss because they're conscious of God. What Peter says about submission to authority, in some ways I suppose it does sound tough, doesn't it? But he finishes off with the perfect example for us to follow. I mean, you don't get a better example than this one, starting there in verse 21. To this you were called, that is, submission to authority, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There's your example right there. You want to know how it is that you ought to submit? Well, look at what Jesus did. You want to know how that alien value is going to work out in your life? Exactly the same way that it did for Jesus. And what Jesus did was he entrusted himself to him who judges 
justly. He realized that the day would come when all things would be set right. It might not be here in my lifetime, but the day will come when God will judge justly. Jesus was willing to endure hardship and injustice. He was willing to endure suffering because he knew that ultimately God is the one who rules over all things and he can be trusted. And that's the example for us to follow. Submission to that ruling authority. When you want to know how it is to live, the Bible keeps saying one thing, doesn't it? Look to Jesus. That's how it is that you ought to live. That's what Paul says to the Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus suffered and died so that we could be citizens of heaven. He endured injustice so that we could be saved. Jesus was the one who submitted to those authorities so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. When you're visiting another country, there's always a sense in which you're an unofficial ambassador of that country. So when I go to Zimbabwe, for most people, I will be the only thing that they know about Australia. They're going to assess Australia based on what I'm like. Phil said it before that Australians have a pretty bad reputation overseas as tourists. Uh, I had a friend who encountered that. He was on a, on a trip to Europe and he bought a ticket that gave him a three-day stopover in Bali. But it, it was just after he arrived in Bali that he realised that it would be best if he actually didn't leave the hotel that he was staying in. Uh, Australians have a particularly bad reputation in Bali, they're seen as being hard drinkers and big fighters. So for him, staying inside the hotel was the best thing to do. He didn't want anyone to know that he was an Australian. So he sat in his hotel room and watched TV for three days until the plane took him on to Europe. Well, there's a sense in which you and I are ambassadors of heaven, ambassadors for Christianity. People are going to make their assessment about Christianity based on you, on what you're like, on the attitudes and the values that they see coming from you. They'll be watching you in order to make a judgment about heaven and about Christianity. They'll either be drawn to find out more because of the life that you live, or they'll be turned off because of the way that you behave. Throughout this chapter, that's the challenge that Peter has given us, isn't it? To make sure that we think about the witness that we have to those around us. Verse 12, live such good lives that though you are accused of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the talk, the ignorant talk. Of foolish men. 